from this morning. And I want to talk about it for a little while. Paul talked about in these verses that it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And um, I came up here. I've been studying, praying like all these men have done, trying to find the mind of God. And I had some other things I wanted to talk about. But last night, God really spoke to my heart and challenged me. And so I went back to the room and I started writing myself a few little notes. And I, I want to bring you what I, just what I feel on my heart today. Is that all right? Just right of my heart. I want, to, I want to talk about the dangers of good preaching. The dangers of good preaching. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus. Would you talk to our hearts in these next few moments? May the Spirit of God speak to us. We certainly recognize we need you. We are nothing in your presence. We need your help. We ask for that help. Let the divine anointing of God be upon us now as we reach out to you. Touch our lives. Help me to speak as I ought to speak and say what I ought to say. Do what I ought to do in these next few moments. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you for standing, and you may be seated. Praise God. Now, preaching is a very wonderful thing. I've been listening to uh, preachers preach for a long time. My life has been blessed by preaching. My life has been challenged by preaching. My life has been changed by preaching. I, I believe it's possible that one sermon can have a tremendous influence and a powerful impact upon your life. One sermon. I realize that it takes many sermons and much commitment to God to be discipled. And Brother Grisham talked about that. And he talked about getting born but also being discipled. And it takes time to build a church. It takes time to develop saints. It takes time to be holy takes time to uh, develop commitment in the lives of people. And I'm not sure that we ever, any of us, have reached a place where we feel like we've arrived. But it takes time to get the work of God done. And some people are not willing to take the time that is necessary. And so they try to bypass God's program and circumvent God's ways and manner and so on. And they try to do it another way. But it doesn't work another way. We have to do it God's way. Amen. If we're going to build a church, we've got to build it God's way. And if we're going to preach, we must preach His Word. But I thank God for preaching every sermon that I've ever heard by a man of God. I thank God for preaching. The Bible says in Acts chapter 5 and verse 42 that they cease not to preach Jesus Christ. I want to talk about preaching here for a little while. They cease not to preach Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 10 and verse number 36, the Bible said that they preached peace by Jesus Christ, for He is the Lord of all. Amen. I believe that peace can be ministered to the life, lives of people as we preach Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 14, the, uh, Paul said, How can they hear without a preacher? And how can he preach except to be sent? I still believe it takes God to send, call and send the preacher. It still takes God. It's not just a professionalism. It's not just a business. It's not just a vocation. 
not just something you decide to do. I don't believe your dad and mother can call you to preach. I don't believe your grandparents can call you to preach. I asked one man why he was a preacher one time. He said, my grandmother always said I'd be a preacher. And so I'm fulfilling her, her wishes and her will. It's got to be more than grandma's will. Praise God. There's got to be a call of God. I, I'm still old-fashioned enough to believe that it takes God to call the preacher to preach. Amen. And, uh, and he said, how can he preach except he be sent? 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4, Paul said, My preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Preaching. Thank God for preaching. 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Paul the apostle said, Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Woe is me. Because he said, there's a, there's a part of the dispensation of the gospel that's been committed to me. I've got a personal responsibility to uh, preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 11, Paul said, So we preached, and so you believed. So we preached, and so you believed. Praise God. It's a wonderful thing when preaching goes forth, and it's the truth, and others believe it. 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, Paul said, We preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ. And he said, we're the servants of God for his sake. But we preach. And 2 Timothy 4 and 2, Paul says, preach the word. You know, the, uh, the Bible says a lot about preaching. Deals a lot with preaching. He said, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. And reprove and rebuke and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itch and ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned to fables. But he said, Watch down all things, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of your ministry, for the time of my departure is at hand. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Therefore, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love is appearing. Paul said, Timothy, your priority is to preach the Word. Don't preach fables. Don't preach doctrines of men. Don't preach dogmas of men. Don't preach riddles and rhymes. Preach the Word. Amen. I believe a church that's built on the Word of God is going to stand. I believe saints that are built on the Word of God are going to stand. If we're, and I love music, and you've got some of the best here. And I love singing. My, the choir was fantastic last night, and the singing and music here is second to none. But uh, I think all of us understand that there has to be more to the, to the, to the church than just good singing or, or just good music. Because somebody else is going to come along someday that can play a little better maybe or, or sing a little better and we'll jump over there to church. There has to be more to a church than just a program because somebody else will, will get a better program. And so there has to be the solidity of the preaching of the Word of God. I believe that churches that are built upon the preaching of the Word of God are going to stand in this crucial hour. Amen. When a lot of things are falling and a lot of churches are falling, and a lot of ministries have fallen. I believe we're going to stand if we're built upon the solid rock of this blessed eternal truth called the Word of God. Thank God for the Bible. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Praise God, thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Thank God for the word of God today. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. Thank God for preaching. 
Hallelujah. I said, thank God for preaching. Thank God for a preacher that gets in the pulpit every Sunday morning and preaches, every Sunday night and preaches, every weeknight service and preaches. Hallelujah. We need preachers that are dedicated to preaching, committed to preaching, sold out to the gospel. Hallelujah. I said, we need preachers that's got it in their heart, they got it in their spirit, and nothing's going to stop them. They're going to preach the Word. Let's clap our hands for the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. It's hard to kill a church, and especially a church that's built on preaching. Amen. An old preacher who's a good friend of mine told me years ago in a certain state, there was a church that had been built on the Word of God, but had fallen on hard times. The last pastor there hadn't been as faithful as he ought to have been to the Word of God. The congregation had gone down to a handful of people. But the kids said they couldn't pay the bills. And so the decision was made to sell the church. They had to sell the church. church had to fold up. Only a handful of people were going, and the bills were due, past due. And so they decided on a certain Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, they'd meet on the courthouse steps, and they'd sell the church. And so they did. To make a long story short, this elderly preacher told me he was standing there, and, and, and the man who was an auctioneer got up, and there was a businessman there, Brother Christian, that had decided that he wanted that property to build a business on. It was valuable to him, and he was going to outbid everybody. And uh, so he was set. And the man started off and said, we'll ask for a starting price of $10,000. And uh, the businessman said, I'll give it. In the meantime, there was a man that drove up, in a big black car, and he had on a black suit, and nobody in the t- small town had ever met him. Nobody had ever seen him. And um, uh, so he got out and was just standing casually over the side. And so when uh, he said 10000 somebody make it 11 The man with the black suit raised his hand and said, I'll make it 11 Businessman said, I'll make it 12 And the man with the black suit said, I'll make it 13 Businessman said, 14 This kept going on. And, uh, and the businessman was wondering, and everybody was wondering, who is this guy? Who is this man with this black suit? Strange guy come up here in this black automobile. And so they finally got $50,000. Businessman stopped there. Man with black suit said, I'll give 51000 And he said, sold to the man with the highest bid. And he said, come up here and pay for it and tell us how you want it made out. And, and so the, the man came to the uh, front and he got his money out and he paid in cash. He pulled out... Uh, $51,000 in cash, and he laid it down. And they said, well, how do you want to deed it? He said, deed it to the United Pentecostal Church. Amen. And so they deeded it right back to the church, and it was paid in full. And the man turned around and got in his car and drove away. And this fine preacher in our district that told him the story said, they, the man had never been seen before. He's never been seen since then. But he paid for a church. And today, in that city, there's a church that averages over 150 in Sunday school. Praise God. It's hard to kill a church. Praise God. I thank God for the church. I thank God for preaching. I thank God for the Word of God. Hallelujah. I said, if you build your life, if you build your ministry, if you build your church on the Word of God, it's not going to pass away. It's not going to fail because God is in the midst of His people and God has ordained this church and God's ordained this book. Somebody shout amen. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, Go ye into all the world and preach. Preach, preach. In verse 20, it said, And they went forth and preached. Preach. 
I mean, they preached. Everywhere they went, they preached. Jesus said in Luke 24, 47, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So I've given you these verses of Scripture just as simply among several to show uh, the influence of preaching and what God thinks about preaching and how important preaching is. I don't think we can afford to do away with preaching. We need preaching. I said we need preaching. We need singing, we need music, we need a choir, we need all other things. But praise God, we still need the preaching of the Word of God. In a certain state that I'll not call, there was five music directors, or six, that was having lunch together. And out of this conversation came this statement. One of the men said, we are more important to the church than the pastor. They said, uh, and the others seemed to agree. And he said, we're more important than the pastor is because everything's kind of sitting still and kind of dull until we get up. And when we get up, we move the crowd. And so we're more important than the pastor. And we ought to make more money than the pastor makes. And I think those men had missed a, a key point in God's great plan and the economy of God. Praise God. He didn't say it pleased God that by the foolishness of singing. He didn't say it pleased God by the foolishness of music. But he said it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I thank God for preachers that are still preaching the Word of God. And the church will rise or fall on its ability to preach and to minister the Word of God. Amen. You see, the pulpit has been the center of activities and worship in the church ever since its beginning, ever since it started. And I believe that preaching Preaching the Word continues to hold a key place in the army of God this day. Praise God. If we're going to be a militant, aggressive force in our world, we've got to have preaching. I said we've got to have preaching. Some churches, and somebody talked about it here, are doing away with a lot of their services, having Sunday morning only and just an hour on Sunday, no Sunday night, no weeknight service. You can do it any way you want to. I'm not here trying to tell anybody how to run their church. But I still believe we need more than just between 11 and 12 o'clock on Sunday morning. Amen. Amen. When we get people repent, they're baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, they're going to lose a lot of their former companions. They're going to lose a lot of their former friends. They're going to want to form new associations and new fellowship. And they're going to be around different people. Their life and lifestyle has changed. Praise God. And they need more than a few minute sermon on Sunday morning in order to reshape and remold their life. Praise God. Hallelujah. I love evangelism, but I believe we still need Bible study. Amen. I like, I like it. Brother Baxter, I love evangelism. I love praying people through the Holy Ghost. I love evangelistic services. But there can be no replacement for the teaching of the Word of God that establishes us, that solidifies us, that helps us to understand who we are and where we are and where we're going from here. Praise God. Hey, folks, we still need Sunday morning. We still need Sunday night. We still need a Bible study. We still need to get together and hear the Word of God. Clap your hands and praise Him. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, on Mount Olivet, the disciples were facing a huge task. Huge task. Jesus was now gone. And the plan of redemption had been consummated, and the world had heard the good news. 
Now, the responsibility to take this, this was an unparalleled challenge. And the responsibility to take this rested heavily upon the shoulders of these disciples. What are they going to do about it? What is, what is God's method going to be to reach the lost? What is God's method going to be to reach the world? Where should they go? How should they proceed? What, what method should they use when they went out there to represent Jesus? Would it be best to exercise their influence toward uh, some governmental reform program? I'm telling you, a lot of pulpits in America today, they're hearing everything but the Bible. A man came to our church and got the Holy Ghost, and he said, Preacher, he said, it's been seven weeks since my pastors opened the Bible. And he said, I'm tired of it. I'm leaving that church. He said, he talks about current events. He talks about the government programs. He talks about sports. He talks about everything. But he hasn't opened a Bible in six or seven weeks. He just talked to us. And he said, my soul is hungry for the Word of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It, it, what are they going to do now? They've got a message. And, and how is it going to get out? Must the truth be brought to the people by some slow but steady educational process? Should they come to grips with current problems by just combating social injustices? Um, you see, determining a course of action here is it, a problem to them, and it's a problem now. We've got the greatest message, and I'm convinced of that, in the whole world. Amen. I said we got the greatest message in the whole world. I don't think we ought to be hesitant about our message. I don't think we ought to be weak on our message. Amen. What it takes to be saved hasn't changed. Faith in God, repentance from sin. Baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. I heard a man say that I'd spent a lot of time with. I heard him say on the tape here a while back. He said, it doesn't matter to me whether you baptize, use the words Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Or if you say in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, which is Jesus Christ. Or he said, it doesn't matter what you say. If you speak in tongues, you are my brother. Well, I'm going to tell you, there's a little bit more to it than just speaking in tongues. I believe in speaking in tongues, but the essentiality of what a baptism I immersion in the name of Jesus Christ is still the message in this hour. Praise God. You must be born again of water and of spirit to enter in the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There are preachers that are changing their message, but the message doesn't change. There's people that are cutting the message and cutting it off in certain areas, but the message hasn't changed. It's still the same. Praise God. Thank God for His Word. Thank God for this truth. We must not compromise. And so now the question is, how are we going to get this message out? But you see, it was not their choice or, or their decision to make. Jesus was the one that made that decision. Amen. The truth is that the plan of salvation and the plan of procedure had already been laid out. Ringing in their ears were the very words of Jesus. He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, here he is. He's got the greatest message in the whole world. And the whole world needs to hear it. Now, how are we going to get it out? What is the, what is the best means and procedure and method? What, what can we do? What can we say? How can we go about it? Jesus 
Jesus said, I've got the answer. Praise God. Go into all the world. And so not only is the message to reach all men, but we are told how in the Word of God to accomplish this purpose. And the method was outlined as the preaching of the Word of God. Praise God. Praise God. I believe the, uh, the major point of any service is the preaching. Now you might debate that. But I say I believe that the major point of any service is preaching. Thank God for singing. I don't want to be misunderstood. Praise God. Thank God for singing. I like that. Thank God for music. I like that. Thank God for all the other things. But I still believe that the main thing in the, ser in the service is preaching. I, I, I was raised up in Missouri, and Brother Harry Branding was my district superintendent, my first one before Brother Rome and Brother Winford Black and so on. But he, he said this many times. I've heard him stand straight and tall, and he said, You folks can shout for an hour if you want to. You can shout ever how long you want to. But when you get through shouting, I'm going to preach. Praise God. And that's, that was sort of his philosophy. And I'm not saying there won't be times when there'll be such a sovereign work of the Holy Ghost that you, that you don't need preaching. There probably are those times. But I believe in most services we need preaching. One man told me in southern Missouri one time, he said, man, we're having the best time. He said, we hadn't had any preaching in six weeks. Oh, he said, we're having a time. Man, we're just a shouting. And he said, we're jumping over the pews and we're having a great time. And he said, we hadn't heard any preaching in six weeks. Well, somewhere along the line, my brother, that's got to be the preaching. Preaching of the Word of God. Somebody say praise the Lord. So now the Apostle Paul, I think, clearly expresses here the importance of preaching. And in the Amplified New Testament, here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 1.21. For when the world with all of its earthly wisdom failed to perceive and recognize and know God by means of its own philosophy, God in His wisdom was pleased through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. God in His wisdom. How descriptive that is. How potent that is. The phrase, the foolishness of preaching. And, and, and don't misunderstand what Paul was saying. It is in no sense foolish preaching. Praise God. That reaches the lost. It's not foolish preaching. But it's the method which men count as foolishness that God has chosen to be the key factor in the plan of redemption and the propagation of this redemption plan. Hallelujah. There's a lot of people in our day that are negating preaching and they're given scores of reasons why that uh, there are other methods that are more popular and can be better used. I thank God for seminars now and then, but just a seminar will never take the place of old-fashioned anointed preaching. I, I, I like seminars. Praise God, but it won't take the place of preaching. I like times of getting together. There's other, there's other occasions. People say what we need is just to get together and, and talk and so on and discuss. All of that's good. Praise God. After you're through discussing, somebody needs to preach a while. Glory to God. That's right. We can get together and, and somebody said, well, we need to have some house meetings. That's all right. We can get right together in the house, talk a little bit about the Lord. Praise God. And eat some fried chicken if you got it and a little banana pudding. Drink some iced tea. When it's over with, somebody needs to preach. Praise God. If we're going to reach our generation, it's going to have to be with the preaching of the gospel. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. A lot of our contemporaries have negated preaching to an 
antique type of thing or into antiquity and they say it's a thing of the past. Praise God. But I say today that preaching is not a thing of the past. In the year 2000, we need men of God that will stand in a pulpit and hear from God in prayer. Hallelujah. And say, thus saith the Lord. We need somebody with a clear note and a certain sound to say this is what God wants for today. Hallelujah. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord. Amen. Amen. In the area of missions, many people are asking, can the trifling thrust of preaching break down these entrenched ancestral superstitions? Can preaching do that? And prejudices and so on? Can even the best of preaching compete with the learned proofs that men have to offer are the philosophical explanations or are some type of dissertation they've given. Can such a, a simple thing, one would ask, as preaching, can it solve the vexing problems of mankind in a very complicated, a complex world? Hallelujah. Let me, let me let Paul answer that. Paul sums it up wisely. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Amen. It may be foolish to the world, but if you love God, you love the Bible. If you love the Bible, you love to hear it preached. Hallelujah. I pray that day never comes in Pentecost when we get away from the Bible, when we get away from preaching, when we get away from just old-fashioned gospel preaching. Praise God. Praise God. I don't care if you have no education or if you're highly educated. It doesn't make any difference. If God's called you to preach, praise God, preach. Somebody's going to hear it. Somebody's going to believe it. Somebody's going to receive it. Praise God. Just preach. Hallelujah. You know, when I was just a boy, you didn't hear much about uh, Bible schools, wasn't much, much about education. And uh, in the part of the country where I was raised in, I mean, it was, it was just kind of poor folk, no education. And that's kind of the way it was. I went to a fellowship meeting one time, Brother Kenzie, and a guy got to preach. And there will forget it, his name was Claude Smith. He was a little short fellow. And uh, when he got to preach, I was just a teenager. And he, he got up there and they had a big pulpit, and he kind of leaned his head uh, over and put his hand behind his ear and started talking. And in my teenage mind, I thought, this, is this all they got to offer, you know, today? Is this the preacher? Uh, couldn't they beat this? There's several other preachers on the platform. And so Claude Smith just started talking and just kind of started talking and just kept on talking. In a few minutes, he just kind of raised his hand back and straightened up. And the first thing you know, he was preaching. And that old country fellow, you can say what you want to. Brother, he didn't have a whole lot of education, but he had a whole lot of Holy Ghost. And the anointing of God came in that place. Praise God. I hope the day never comes where we don't appreciate and value the sovereign work of the Holy Ghost and the move of the Spirit. Praise God. It doesn't have to be one, two, three and proper protocol. And I like a good system. I like it done right as well as anybody. But I, I believe that I've been around long enough to see that if we're going to have revival, it's not something that's orchestrated by the wisdom of men, but it's something that's directed of heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We need revival. And brother, your best plans can't do it and your best seminar can't do it but if we can get together and somebody can hear from God and has got a word from the Lord and says thus saith the Lord we're going to have church 
I said, we're going to have church. Somebody shout amen. Hallelujah. You see, the Jews didn't want a suffering Messiah. They couldn't relate to that. And the Greeks couldn't understand the crucified God. There was something about that they just couldn't relate to. But you see, heaven's means and heaven's message is counted as foolishness as far as the world's concerned. But preaching stands at the heart of God's plan for the ages. And despite all of the contempt of the worldly wise, preaching is unctuous and, and it's forthright and it's anointed and proclaims the message of redemption. And it's God's means of bringing people into the fold of God and in the family of God. Thank God for preaching. I believe everyone in this building ought to love preaching, and you ought to love preachers. If you're a saint of God here, you're not called to preach, I'd encourage you today to love your pastor. Love good preaching. Stand behind your pastor. Be loyal to your pastor. Be faithful to that man of God that's preaching the Word of God. How do you say he doesn't preach like somebody else? Let me tell you that preaching, you, all of us know that preaching varies. And, you know, some people talk about, well, uh, good preaching. Some talk about average preaching, and some talk about weak preaching and talk about strong preaching they talk about mediocre preaching and they talk about poor preaching and uh, but i believe uh, you know, it's it's all what it, what people think i guess and what pleases one may not please another i've been in church where one sermon really did a lot for somebody it didn't seem to do anything for somebody sitting right beside of them praise god maybe it's uh, the fact that we're in tune with the holy ghost Maybe being in tune with the Spirit makes a lot of difference. Praise God. But every preacher that's here today ought to strive to be a good preacher. And every, every layman ought to love to hear good preaching. And every preacher ought to study. I, I heard a man say years ago, he said, I don't need to study. I just open my mouth and God fills it. I don't need to study. Well, I'm going to tell you, the preacher that doesn't study and doesn't pray doesn't need to get in the pulpit. Amen. And you've got to... You've got a lot of young men here today that are called to preach or some that are aspiring to be a preacher. I want to tell you something that is not an easy route. If you think that preaching is just drinking iced tea and eating fried chicken, you've got a wrong concept of preaching. There's a whole lot more to it. Praise God. Talked about working. Just plain old hard work. Praise God. The only place where you find success before work, somebody said, is in the dictionary. And I believe that because it, it, it just takes a whole lot of hard work. Glory to God. Churches are built by dedication and, and preaching and, and hard work and committed people. Oh, God, give us a love for preaching in this hour. But I want to tell you that preaching is not, is not the, the minister's only task, but it ought to be his supreme task. I heard a man say one time, he told me, he said, I counsel day and night. I counsel all the time. I counsel. He said, I counsel till 2 o'clock in the morning a lot of times. And I said, man, you're getting past my bedtime. You know, you're counseling all the time. Praise God. And every pastor's got to counsel some. But I read a verse of Scripture in Isaiah 9 where it talks about another person that would be our counselor. Praise God. Isaiah 9 and 6 called him the counselor. Never did call me the counselor. I realize as a pastor of 38 years that I've got to talk to people and I've got to communicate. But I, I, just, I just believe with all of my heart that if we come back to the old fact.
preaching of the gospel and the preaching of the word of God, we can handle a whole lot of the situations right from the pulpit. This man right here told me one time, he said, uh, I'm, I'm telling you how I do most counseling. I do mass counseling. He said, I do it right in the pulpit. Praise God. You ever heard somebody come to you and say, preacher, say, uh, you know, if you ever see me needing something or if you ever see me out of line, come to me and talk to me. If you ever see I've got a need, come to me. Praise God. Well, I tell you, your pastor's coming to you every Sunday morning and every Sunday night and, and every week, Wednesday night or whatever, whenever you have church. Praise God. Thank God for preaching. I, I'm a firm believer today that if we come to church and pray and seek God and live in the Spirit and receive the Word of God, we wouldn't need half as much counseling as we have. Amen. A lot of pastors are so overworked and burdened down with counseling over every little petty problem that they don't have time to study, they don't have time to pray, and to go to the pulpit, and they don't have a message that moves people. I'm telling you, friend, that if you'll turn your preacher loose and just let him preach, don't tie his hands, praise God. Just let him have time to study, let him have time to pray. Don't wring everything out of him before he goes to the pulpit. Hallelujah. Let him go to that pulpit with a fresh anointing of God. I'll guarantee you this, he'll preach something that'll help you. He'll preach something that'll bless you. He'll preach something that'll minister to right where you're living and your spirit will be blessed. Anybody say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. When a congregation is looking for a pastor, let's say they're out, uh, they, don't, they don't have a present pastor. Uh, most congregations seek one that's a good preacher. All other good qualities are held in check until the congregation hears him preach. They want to hear him preach. Can he preach or not? That's what most of them. And if he meets their approval with his son, if he's a pretty good preacher, then the battle is mostly won. Praise God. Is that right? This man didn't have any trouble because he's one of the best preachers you'll ever hear. He didn't have any trouble. When they got ready in Pensacola, Look for a pastor. Praise God. If it's preaching, of course, you've got a lot of other qualities, too. It's just as great. But if they're looking for a preacher, here's a preacher. And that's what most congregations want, a preacher, a man that can preach the gospel. And, 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 and so that pretty well settles the score. A lot of people tend to brag about their pastor. You know, I've heard them say, uh, my pastor is a wonderful preacher. My pastor is a good preacher. I was in a church one time where a man, I don't know his status in the church, he said, my pastor is not a great preacher, but he's a great pastor. He's a great shepherd. He's a great leader. And he might not just have you standing on your head or, or, or doing flips in the aisle while he preaches, but he's a man of God, and he's a great pastor, and he's a great shepherd, and he's got the heartbeat of this church. That's pretty important too, isn't it? Somebody say amen. Praise God. Praise God. And, and, and so we, we tend to judge a man on his preaching. Uh, is he a good preacher? Is he a bad preacher? What kind of preacher is he louder? What kind of preacher is he? You see, the basic danger in good preaching is to make the, uh, uh, make the ultimate end in itself preaching instead of a means to the end. 
I don't believe that preaching is the end itself. It's a means to the end. And the minister works very diligently to produce good preaching. And a lot of preachers, when they achieve that, they sit back and they rest on their laurels and they say, praise God, I've got it made. I preached a good sermon. But the purpose of preaching is more than just tickling the ears of people or satisfying the fancy of a few folks. The purpose, hear me now, the purpose of preaching is to produce results. How effective is a sermon? I don't know. How much results did it produce? What happened after the sermon was over? If we just said that was a good sermon, then that was a great text. Did you get those thoughts? Those were some wonderful thoughts. Praise God. I could preach that myself. Or I got three sermons out of that man's sermon while he was preaching. And all of that's fine and good. But the end result of real preaching is what happens when the sermon is over. Amen. When I preach, when I preach for the Baxter on Sunday night, uh, then it's not just, I'm, I'm not just trying to wow them out. I decided years ago, never could uh, do very well at it, but I decided years ago in my home church, I was going to quit trying to preach sermons and fancy sermons and just start ministering to the needs of the people. Amen. One old preacher in Michigan told me one time, he said, on every pew, on every pew, there's at least one broken heart. And he said, if you'll always preach to broken hearts, you'll never lack for a congregation. You'll always have somebody to preach to. And if that was true years ago, I believe it's double true today. There's broken hearts everywhere. And instead of just getting up and wowing them out with a good sermon, I want to minister to the needs of people. Somebody's there and they need help. Somebody's about to commit suicide. Some marriage is about to break up. Somebody's lost their job this week. There's a lot of needs in a congregation. Praise God. So my ultimate purpose is not to come up with a fancy text and and some good phraseology and wow somebody out but I've got to hear from God I've got to help these people praise God they've got to live next week they've got to get a job they've got to get along in their marriage they've got to amen anybody understand what I'm talking about we've got to minister to needs praise God praise God and so I heard preaching when I was a boy growing up a preacher came through our part of the country and he used the best text I ever heard he preached on seven ducks in a muddy pond. And I thought, boy, that's great. Talk about Naaman. And I thought, that's a wonderful sermon. I don't remember another thing he said. All I know is that there were seven ducks and they were in a muddy pond. That's all I know. One night he preached on the fox chase. Jesus told Herod, or told him about Herod, said, go tell that fox. And he preached on the fox. He had us chasing fox all night. I don't know where we went. I don't remember where we wound up at. I don't remember what it was all about. But I remember the fox chase. I remember the text, you know. Praise God. <laughs> I remember one night he preached on giving a pig a permanent wave. I remember that good sermon. And, and I, could just, I could just see that old sow down there, you know. Uh, but he said a prodigal son, you know, waving goodbye uh, to the hog pen, permanent wave. And I remember that. Uh, boy, I, I like that text. But uh, for the life of me, I, I didn't get anything else out of it. Uh, his, his text just wowed us out. But there's got to be more to a sermon than just a text. There's got to be more than just some cute phraseology. I preach to people every week that are hurting. I preach to people every week that's got real problems. I, I don't know about you, maybe not Indiana or wherever you're from, but I preach to people that are having marital problems. I preach to people that's having trouble with their teenagers. I preached to a, a lady, and just a few weeks ago, her son committed suicide, blew his head off. i got to minister to those people. I'm going to tell you, it's not cute phraseology. When the hearts are crushed and broken, somehow that 
to be a man of God that will get in the pulpit, hallelujah, and have something. Is there any word from the Lord? Is there anything that God's got to say? I need some help. There's some people sitting on our pews that are crying out of their spirit. I need God. I need help. I need strength. I can't make another day. Hallelujah. I'm convinced that old-fashioned preaching is going to do something for them. I'm convinced that preaching is going to do something for them. And we need to talk and we need to counsel. But I'm convinced it's going to take more than just counseling and more than just talking. Praise God. Praise God. So I'm going to come to a close here shortly. Good preaching is important in the church. But the purpose of preaching is to get results. Amen. And if the force comes to a halt with the preaching itself, then the whole effort is aborted. The preacher who makes good preaching his ultimate goal and the Christian in the pew that makes good preaching the ultimate goal of the whole church, they have become entrapped in a subtle snare because there's more to the work of God than just a good sermon. And I emphasize we need preaching. But I want to talk about in closing three basic dangers that come as a result of good preaching. Now, I told you my subject was the danger of good preaching. And I can set your mind ease before. I should have. Uh, there's no danger that you're going to hear any right now. You're going to hear something in a little while from Brother Kinsey. But uh, I should have told you in the beginning, it's a danger zone. You're not in this, in this lot. Praise God. Here's some good preaching. But there is a danger of good preaching. And one of the dangers of good preaching is that we have assent without action. We have assent without action. Mere assent to the truth is a predominant weakness in individual lives and is found, I think, in the very best of churches. Hallelujah. It's natural when somebody does something to respond with words, but to do so in no other way. I submit to you today, ladies and gentlemen, when a preacher preaches, we need more than just saying, that was a good sermon. Praise God. There needs to be something. Every sermon ought to move me to do something. Preaching ought to have a purpose. It ought to have a goal. It ought to have an objective. It ought to have something it's pushing toward. Amen, amen. If I'm preaching on baptism, I'm going to do my best for the bachelor to convince people of getting baptized in Jesus' name. If I'm preaching the Holy Ghost, I'm going to try to make it sound as good as I can. And even then, I can't make it sound half as good as it is. If I'm talking about the Godhead, I'm going to try to conclusively prove that there's one God, not two or three, not a Trinitarian dogma, but there's only one God. If I'm preaching on holiness, I'm going to try to convince the people and present the point and try to make the point in preaching. I think preaching ought to be to a, to a certain end. What are we trying to achieve? What, what is our objective? What are our goals in preaching? Praise God. We become conditioned sometimes to believe that the ultimate result of a good sermon is just a nod of the head or a hearty amen or some complimentary remark after the sermon is over. There's more to it than a nod of the head. There's more to it than an amen. There's more to it than saying, hey, I enjoyed that. What, what, what does it do to you? What does it do for you? Glory to God. If that's the goal, if that's the goal, then what more is there to do or to seek to do? If the purpose of preaching is only produce assent, or people 
give us their mental assent, then we have no further responsibility and we can just revel in good preaching or in listening to good preaching. But the real objective of good preaching is to bring about action. Only in this way can it be an effective tool for world evangelization had Jesus commissioned us. And if it doesn't, then the critics are right in saying that preaching will never do the job. But in the plan of God, the results of preaching are to go far above and beyond the nod of the head. An amen. Hallelujah. I want to know after a sermon, does it motivate us and move us into the arena of action? What does it do to us? Now let me break it down just a little plainer. The dangers of good preaching is this. And we've all been hearing it for years. You folks have come here and heard it for years. All your churches, you've heard good preaching for years. But then the danger is that we would hear good preaching over and over and over. And we'll say, man, that's good preaching. Man, I revel. That's good. Let me buy that tape. Let me hear that again. Let me hear that point again. Boy, that was a good point. Praise God. But if I hear a sermon about prayer, Brother Kinsey, then the, the, the key thing about that is did it motivate me to pray more? Did it move me to action? What, what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do with that sermon? If, if the preacher is preaching about prayer, I want to know, is it moving me to pray more? I, or was it just, praise God, that was a good sermon. I enjoyed that. Hey, that's fine. Let's hurry and go out to uh, TGI Fridays and get something to eat. I want to know, if, if the preacher is preaching about prayer, does it put me on my knees? If he preaches about fasting, does it cause me to push my plate back? If he preaches about soul winning, does it put a desire in me to win a soul? Ladies and gentlemen, we can hear good preaching from now to the rapture. That's not the only objective. The objective is to move us into action. What are we going to do with what we've heard? And you know, one of the dangers, and I'm not being negative. I, I, I don't like negative preaching, but I'm, I'm, I want to be honest here for a minute. One of the dangers of this kind of meeting, and I enjoy it, I've been here before. One of the dangers of this Mark Conference, East Coast, Landmark, Cause of Times, and on and on and on. One of the dangers is that we all can enjoy just going and hearing good preaching. We just hear good preaching. Boy, that was good. I got a tape. And hey, I get tape too. And I get a tape. And I went home and heard that. And man, it was good. But the real issue is, what did it do to me? When I come to Mark, do I leave changed or did I just enjoy some good sermons? When I go to Because of the Times, do I leave changed or did I just hear a good sermon? When I go to the East Coast Conference, did I leave changed or did I just revel in a good sermon? Did I give a nod and an amen and a good compliment remark to the preacher or did it move me into action? Hallelujah. I hunger today. I hunger for preaching that moves me into the arena of action. Praise God. When the preacher preaches about soul winning, I will get out there and knock some doors. I will get out there and pass out some cards or some tracks or some handbills. Talk to somebody. Praise God, praise God. I want it to move me into action. Can, I, can you say amen? Somebody say amen. Amen. I, I walked into a, a place of business about a year or so ago, and it's a little small place called Bojangles. It's like McDonald's. But I went by there every Sunday, and I'd get me on the way to church. I'd get me some unsweetened iced tea and put a little stand over there and put a little sweet and low in it and, and talk to people that let me. There were 30 or 40 people in there every Sunday. One Sunday, there was a lady came to me, Brother Baxter, and she, she said, Are you a preacher? 
And I said, ma'am, I've been called that, and I've been called some other things too. And I said, yes, really, I am a preacher. Are you a pastor? I said, yes, I am. I told her where a pastor just a mile from here. And tears started falling down her cheeks. She said, I've been watching you come in here every Sunday. And she said, I don't know why. I haven't seen you pray. Uh, you just come in and get nice tea and leave. But there's something about you. And I felt like I was drawn to you. And I wanted to ask you, would you pray for me? And I said, what's your name? She said, Marie. And I said, Marie, I'll pray for you. I'll, I'll have special prayer for you at church today. And then the Holy Spirit pr pricked my heart. And God said, why don't you pray right now? Praise God. And so I just turned around. And I said, Marie, would you mind me praying right now? She said, no, go ahead. And I laid hands on her. And about 30 people stopped their eating. And they stopped their drinking coffee. And they started listening. And I started praying. And big old tears flew down her cheeks. And, and after I got through praying, she prayed too, out loud. And uh, I said, what's come to church tonight. She came that night. In three weeks, she was baptized in Jesus' name. In another week, she got the Holy Ghost. Her husband got baptized. Her son got baptized and got the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Praise God. I want to do more than hear a sermon about soul winning. I want to win some souls. Amen. Amen. What's the value of my conference? Is it just to come and hear another sermon? Is it come to say amen? Is it for fellowship in the hall? Is it for food after church? Hallelujah. All of that's good. But there's got to be more to it. There's got to be more to it. Preaching is dangerous just to listen to and not do anything about it. It's dangerous to hear good preaching and never do anything about it. And remain the same. Just remain the same. Oh, God. I don't want to be the same. When I come to Mark or East Coast or because the times or Landmark or wherever it is, I want the preaching to get a hold of me. I want it to do something inside of me. Praise God. Preacher, tell me I need to pray more. And I want to go home and not just listen to the tape again. I want to find a prayer room. And get in on my knees somewhere and say, God, I've got to hear from heaven today. Tell me to fast. Go ahead. Preach it to me. My flesh don't like it, but preach it to me. It'll cause me to push my plate back a little more. Praise God. Talk to me about commitment. And I'll search my heart and see if I'm committed as ought to be. Talk to me about consecration. I'll check my spirit and my attitude and see if I'm consecrated. Talk to me about loving God and loving the church and doing the work of God. Oh, about four or five years ago, my wife and I went to Montana to preach the uh, Rocky Mountain Camp. And it's, if you've been, been there, some of you men, where it used to be in Montana, it's in Wyoming now. And But in Montana, it was way out in the country. And it was a, a road that was hard to get to. It was hard to get to. The last five, six miles, dirt road was whole. I'm not exaggerating. You could hardly drive one mile an hour. But we stopped at the little town of Big Horn or Little Horn or something. I don't remember, some kind of horn. And the man said, this is your last chance to get anything to eat. That camp meeting is 42 miles from the closest place to buy cocoa. 42 miles. He said, if we're going to eat, we're going to eat here. I said, okay, that's good advice. Let's just do that. So we went in and ate, and I pulled my glasses off. I don't need glasses for anything but reading. But I pulled my glasses off, left them on the table. Got almost to the camp. I got my coat pocket. I said, oh, my goodness. I said to my wife, I said, I've left my glasses in that, in that restaurant. man said, we don't have time to go back. I said, all right. Well, let's just go on to camp. Praise God. I'll just try to preach my memory. Do something I can't read. <laughs> Praise
praise God. So the first night, I already knew what I felt was the will of God to preach. And so I, I just quoted the scripture and pulled a Robert Bayer on him. Praise God. Just got up there without, a, you know, and just, just, just quoted the scripture and started preaching. <laughs> praise God. They didn't know the difference. And, and uh, so the next day, I called them. They said, uh, I said, you got my glasses? And they said, yes. Went back up there. And, and my wife said, you know, we, we was in the camp the week before. She said, we got some dirty clothes. Why don't we go buy a laundromat? I said, that's a good idea. And so we, we went up and got my glasses and went by a laundromat. And, and, and just so happened, you see, if I took my glasses that day, something happened. Brother Nix, it wouldn't have happened. We walked in that laundromat. My wife was washing the clothes. I was sitting over reading the paper. And I just, and here come my man and his wife and some children. And, uh, of course, the time I got talking to him about the Lord. And it came to find out he was a Baptist preacher. He just resigned his church. And he was on his way to Illinois. I said, where are you going? He said, I don't know. I said, what are you going to do? He said, I don't know. I'm just hungry for God. He said, I, I've been pastoring this church, and, and I've got hungry for God, and I'm just going to try to find God somewhere. He said, I, I haven't got everything I need. And I said, have you heard about the Holy Ghost? And I gave him a little Bible study on the Holy Ghost. And I said, we'd like to have it. And he said, I'd like to have it. And I laid hands on him in the laundromat, and, and God is my witness. God filled him with the Holy Ghost right in the laundromat. And he started speaking in tongues. Hallelujah. He started speaking with other tongues, and his wife started praising God. She didn't speak with tongues that day. I trust they did later. And then I, I gave him the address of several churches in Illinois, and then I lost sight of them. Praise God. But I thought, uh, there's no accidents with God, just incidents. It was no accident that I forgot my glasses. Because if I had my glasses, there would have been a pastor that wouldn't have got the Holy Ghost. Praise God. I want to tell you something, folks. It's time for us to move into the arena of action. Hallelujah. I don't need just to hear another sermon just to be hearing another sermon. I don't need just another sermon to tickle my fancy. I don't need another sermon just to rate them in and who's the top ten. I don't need another sermon just to say I've been to another meeting. I need to hear another sermon that will move me into a dimension of action and pursuing the will of God. I need a sermon that will move me to prayer and fasting and worshiping and, and living for God. I don't need to hear just good preaching that does nothing for me. Come to the music, please. If you heard the sermon last night that Brother Cunningham preached, and that don't move you to make you want to do something for God, I'm going to tell you, you missed the purpose of being here. And you know, we can go to all these conferences, we can follow up, go to one or the other, make sure we make them all, and you can hear a lot of great preaching, a lot of great men of God. Oh, there's a danger. There's a danger in good preaching. We can give our assent without any action. And I'll close with this. The second thing, we can have appreciation without application. We can appreciate the sermon. And there's nothing wrong with cultivating a sense of appreciation for God and His great truth. But the danger comes when we allow that to be the target of preaching both on the part of the one that speaks and the part of the one that hears and to terminate the process with just an oral response or, or some commendation is to do so before it reaches its dynamic and its explosive effect the power of the gospel is demonstrated in the whole life rather than just in the mind or the mouth the message of God fails when its inspiration and its challenge is only mental is greatly limited when the result of a sermon is only an amen or verbal response. Then there is no personal application and the good seed never reaches the soil where it can germinate and grow. 
when this happens, the best of preaching is for nothing. The best of preaching was for no cost. It came to naught. You've got a great pastor in this church. You just come here, stand in this pulpit. One of the greatest pastors and preachers and communicators that I've ever heard. But if you just sit and listen to the sermon and say, Oh, that Brother Mooney's a great preacher. Oh, is he ever a great preacher? But I want to ask you a probing question. What does his sermons do for you after the sermon is over? Is that the end of it? Come and bow on our knees for two or three minutes in the altar? Is that the end of it? That's not God's will. We have appreciation without application. And then finally... We have reception without reproduction. We receive the message to a degree, but there's no reproduction. And God has one prime pur purpose in preaching, is that his word would be incarnated in us. That means both the living word, which is Jesus Christ, and the written word, which is the Bible. And in God's eternal plan, these indwell us, and they become an integral part of our being. As we are saturated with his word, our lives begin to reproduce what is within. And we become living witnesses of the gospel. When God's truth is received with a mere tip of the hat or a kind word, then the plan of God suffers a miscarriage. And the work of the preacher is fruitless. The reproduction that the Lord intended to bring about in our lives can end up in, a, in an abortion, if you please, because the will of God was never fulfilled. I don't want the plan of God and the preaching I've heard just to be aborted in my life and not produce. There needs to be spiritual reproduction. how easy it is, ladies and gentlemen, to revel in truth and do practically nothing about it. I'm not here to condemn. I'm not here to put anybody on a guilt trip. I'm here to ask you about Mark Conference 2000. There's been a lot of them. Mark's a great conference. Great preachers. Great men of God here. Great preachers all over this audience that are not even preaching on this schedule, but they're great men of God. Any number of them could be up here preaching today instead of me, and I know that. But I'm asking you the question, what will you do with Mark Conference 2000? Will it be another great sermon, a great message? We nod our head, we clap our hands, we say amen, we buy the tape, we go home, and we forget it. In a certain area of the country, there was a pastor that was invited to speak, and churches from all over were invited to come, and they came, and he spoke very strongly and forthrightly and it was powerful. Afterward, there was a member of his congregation sort of assuming a superior attitude because that was his pastor. There's nothing wrong with loving your pastor. You ought to stand behind your pastor, be loyal, be committed, be faithful. Can I get a, can I get a witness? I said, everybody that's here, if you're a member of a local church, ought to thank God for your pastor. Stand behind him, love him, appreciate him, be loyal, be faithful. But this member had heard his pastor preach and was very proud of him. And he said, that's the kind of preaching that we hear every Sunday. And the man that he made the remark to turned to him and said, really? Why aren't you different? 
That's the kind of preaching we hear every Sunday. Oh, that's our preacher. That's our pastor. What a speaker. What an orator. What a pulpiteer. What a man. Why aren't you changed? Why aren't you different? Because preaching brings to the hearer responsibility. And the best of preaching brings the heaviest responsibility. There's more involved, my friend, than just the hearing of the Word, but there's the doing of the Word, which is the ultimate purpose of God. I pray there will not be a performance gap between what we hear and what we do. For he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Preach to me about prayer. Let me find a place to pray. Tell me about fasting. Help me to push my plate back. Talk to me about worship. Help me to come alive in my praise to God. Tell me about witnessing. And give me a track or something in my hand to go out and talk to somebody about Jesus or a home Bible study chart. Talk to me about giving. Let me make sure my tithes and offerings and missions is paid. Talk to me about holiness. Let me check my heart in life to see if I'm living holy. Talk to me, preachers, about dedication and consecration. Let me check my spirit to see if I'm right. Talk to me about loving my brother. Let me make sure that there's no bitterness. I envy or strive for bad spirit in my life. Talk to me about working for God and working for my church. Let me check and make sure it's all on me. But there's more to it than just great preaching. The danger of great preaching is to hear it. If this message has been a blessing to you today, please pass it along to someone else or simply tell them about PreachItAudio.com. If you would like to find a spirit-filled church where lives are transformed in your area, I encourage you to email us today at churches at PreachItAudio.com. Let us know the city and state you live in and we will reply back to you very quickly to direct you to the church in your area where you will receive the strength you need for your life today and where you too can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost.